I hope you're doing well. Solid boomer sound. That's good. That's good. All right. So let's have a wee chat about what's latest on the coronavirus. And um, hopefully, uh, with any luck, we won't get the audio drift on this one. Uh, I've set up. A, I've got a new setup here, so hopefully the audio drift won't be occurring. Thank you for your patience as I work through all of this sort of stuff. It was exciting yesterday, let me tell you. <laughs> Hook a camera up to three different computers, get completely different results every single time. So, from BNO Newsroom, coronavirus timeline. Look, I need to get this across because I've been talking about this for a while, this horrors of this existential stuff that goes on in the world. But uh, January 19th, 2020, 100 cases. January 24th, 1,000 cases. Now, sort of, Mid-January, I began to keep my eye on it, and then I did my first show in late January. January 28th, 5,000 cases. February 12th, 50,000 cases. March 6th, 100,000 cases. March 14th, over 150,000 cases. Of course, just your daily reminder that the World Health Organization calls the China coronavirus an international emergency, but opposes travel bans. And that seems quite, quite important. Oh, oh, you got to look up Michelle Malkin's um, approach to looking at the CDC. Uh, just, uh, just astonishing how corrupt that organization is. You can look up Michelle Malkin's CDC for more on that. Now, let's also have a look at this we website, which is one of these things that you're just really not sure how to discuss it or how to deal with it. UK to self-infect, low-risk population with coronavirus. Is this the only way to stop COVID-19? This strategy is called herd immunity or social immunity, where you inject select people with the virus in a bid to build long-term immunity. Although it's fascinating, herding is a strategy to combat coronavirus it could be risky as it is based on a number of assumptions and they need to be correct. So again, I'll put all of the links to this below. These are just kind of teasers on things to keep your eyes on because there's just so much going on. Flights have been suspended, of course, as you know, from the, to the U.S. From, um, from Europe as a whole. There's a claim here. Flights suspended to U.S. from U.K. and Ireland apart from U.S. citizens from Monday night Eastern time. And I did actually put this out. Uh, some people have harshly called this not just the Kung Flu, but the Boomer Remover. And uh, I did point out on Twitter that the Boomers failed to contain communism. And uh, in an unrelated note, a communist government failed to contain an illness that kind of targets Boomers. So uh, Norway is closing its borders. They're even closing the borders to neighboring Sweden. Unprecedented EU open borders is completely collapsing right now. And it's a funny thing, you know, this is what drives, I'm not a, I'm not a conservative, I'm not right-wing, despite, <laughs> despite someone who apparently plays me on the internet being that way inclined. But one of the things that's really frustrating when you study history is, you know, all of the hard lessons that have been learned throughout history just get thrown out the window when everyone says, oh, you know, this was all, everything old was just kind of prejudice and uh, it was bigotry and it was narrow-mindedness and we're so much more open-minded and flexible and blah, blah, blah. And uh, then what happens is people open up borders. They encourage mass multiculturalism, mass immigration, mass diversity experiments. And at some point, there's this collective, oh, yes, that's right. 
That's what all of that stuff was for. Now we remember. So um, this woman named Nova Prime says, my sister just called someone at the Florence McClure Women's Correctional Center, the Vegas Women's Prison, has someone in quarantine for possible COVID-19. Medical personnel do not give a crap about them. Prisoners don't have a choice. People will die. People always forget that. Like you get to a prison and uh, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad what can go on in, uh, in a prison. And uh, it's a very, very sort of, of course, very entrapped population. And that's an important thing to remember as well. Oh, by the by, if you've supported me in the past, I just wanted to say, A, like, thank you enormously. Thank you. This is what I'm, um, uh, I'm incredibly grateful to be doing this kind of work. But um, please check your email. I've had some reports that, well, check your spam bin as well, because, you know, the friendly social media companies might be miscategorizing my little missives, but um, uh, please check your uh, email. And also, I'm bringing back, for those of you who've been for a while, for a while, I used to do this call-in show. Now I've been doing individual calls, but I used to do this call-in show. I'm bringing it back. I'm shocking it back to life. And um, it's going to be starting at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time tomorrow. And if you want to join in, you can go to subscribestar.com forward slash free domain. And you can sign up uh, and uh, you can join in that way. You can join in the Discord server and uh, uh, chat and, and voice and all that kind of good stuff. So, all right. Now, there's a report from uh, RT. Uh, let me just get that for you. This will be uh, a shocking to you, I suppose. Um, just shows you how far things have gone. Let's check this out. Berlin has shut museums, bars, and even brothels in tough crackdown on virus spread. This is from just today. No action will be available in Germany's capital from now on after Berlin shut down all public venues in an attempt to halt the spread of the deadly coronavirus in Central Europe's most populated city. The decision was announced by Berlin's authorities on Saturday. All venues, such as bars, clubs, cinemas, theaters, and even brothels, have been closed while citizens are effectively prohibited from forming any groups of 50 or more. I guess that's it for a Grateful Dead reunion. The city, city's authorities said the Berlin Senate decided today that from now on all public and non-public events in Berlin with 50 or more participants are forbidden, or as the Germans like to say, verboten. Yeah, just always got to scream it, right? Some 216 cases of coronavirus have been confined in Berlin so far, while nationwide Germany has over 3,400 registered cases and eight resultant Deaths. France, of course, is closing restaurants, clubs, and most shops to battle COVID-19. And um, yeah, the uh, you know, yeah, but it's it's just the flu. Yeah, that's right. It's just the flu. As I said on Twitter, like a lion is just another kind of cat. All right, let's get some more information. Now, you know, please double check everything. This is information. I do my best to check it, but I'm just one man. And um, so, the follow, this is as of yesterday, the following countries and territories have recently reported their first cases of COVID-19. Cuba, Ethiopia, Gabon, Ghana, Guyana, Jersey, Kazakhstan, Kenya, Sudan, Reunion, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, one of the worst marching bands ever, and Venezuela. Ooh. Venezuela, of course, is the creepy look down the tunnel of time at the socialism that's coming unless we change course, and they are going to have a very, very hard time with that for sure. 
As of seven hours ago, the number of coronavirus cases worldwide has surpassed 150,000 of those. 5774 have died, 73,962 have recovered, and 72,698 are still sick. Italy reports 3,497 new cases of coronavirus and 175 new deaths, raising the total to 21,157 and 1,441 dead. Now, you can really, really see, of course, the difference in how the media deals with Trump and the media dealt with Obama. There was an H1N1 virus that floated around when Obama was in power, and um, it was declared a pandemic six months before Obama did anything. And it's all political stuff. Obama also pushed for CDC cuts in the years before the Ebola outbreak. And, um, you know, being in the mainstream media is being a pathetic weaselbag hack of a non-intellectual or rather anti-intellectual or anti-intellect, I guess, would be the better way of putting it. But uh, this is from HuffPost, which is, you know, you post after you huff, I think. Obama also pushed for CDC cuts in years before Ebola outbreak, recent attacks by Democratic Outside group blamed congressional Republicans for exacerbating the Ebola Ebola epidemic by continuously seeking to cut funds for government health services. But the charge leaves out a critical point. President Barack Obama hasn't been consistent on funding the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the dominant U.S. public health agency combating the outbreak. In some years, he's been a budgetary champion for the CDC. In other years, he's bowed to austerity. During Obama's first three years in the White House, the CDC's total funding increased from $6.64 billion to $7.16 billion. And um, it's also gone down uh, at some points as well. The uh, CDC's total budget fell by $430 million in fiscal year 2013. And the president can't blame Republicans for the drop. So, you know, you, you want to find a sociopath, just find someone who's immediately politicizing this kind of stuff. The same thing happens, of course, when there's some kind of shooting or there's some kind of terrorist attack that the people on the left hope it's the people on the right. The people on the right hope that it's some other group. And uh, very little, of course, is ever learned from these kinds of things because of all that stuff. So let's uh, keep plowing on. I just find this completely fascinating stuff. Now, uh, so more bills are going past the House related to coronavirus. Let's talk about some of those, or at least this one in particular. So uh, did you know, Jesse Kelly says, did you know the Wuhan virus bill that passed the House with bipartisan support and likely get signed into law actually exempts businesses with over 500 employees from being forced to do the things small businesses will be forced to do? Standing, standard swamp trash. Shame. Yeah, well, you know, big business is the one problem. It's called regulatory capture and so on. Big businesses can afford to have a huge amount of influence. And there's actually studies that have shown that if you're a big business, there's no better investment you can make than influencing a congressman or a congresswoman. Right? That's just, you, you are, return on investment, your ROI on those things is absolutely staggering. And um, it's uh, just why another reason why we can't ever get safety and security from this kind of stuff. All right, let's have a look at François Ballou. Uh-huh. Or Balu François at Balu François. Yeah, you can uh, you can spell that yourself if you dare. Uh, I can't say it again, otherwise I will have some sort of throat paroxysm. All right, let's um, 
host Francoise. Oh, yeah, yeah, that reminds me. Uh, 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 J.P. Gariappi and myself will be doing a debate this coming Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, live streamed directly on this channel. That is the 20th of March. We are doing Ethics versus Nihilism. Can I rescue him from the swamp of black-hearted nihilism? Well, it's a very, very important topic at the moment, particularly in these postmodern days. So I hope that you will stop by and uh, I dare say cheer on the truth, which hopefully will be somewhat wrapped around me like an anaconda around a young Natasha Kinski. Boy, there's a reference that's <laughs> kind of old. All right, so Francois Ballou says, I should be qualified to comment on the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm a computational system biologist working on infectious diseases and have spent five years in a world-class pandemic response modeling unit. In this thread, I will summarize what I believe. This is from today, 10.39 a.m. So this is what he's got to say. After having spent considerable time thinking how to mitigate and manage this pandemic and analyzing the available data, I failed to identify the best course of action. Even worse, I'm not sure there is such a thing as an acceptable solution to the problem we are facing. I believe that the COVID-19 pandemic is the most serious global public health threat humanity faced since the 1918-1919 influenza pandemic. Just to jump in there, of course, that's the one that killed between 50 and 100 million people and infected 27% of the world's population, a death count roughly equivalent to both world wars combined. So a very big freaking deal. Also from China. He says, there are major differences between the two events, but I suspect there will also be similarities that may emerge once we look back. The most plausible scenario to me, he said, is for the COVID-19 pandemic to wane in the late spring in the Northern Hemisphere and come back as a second wave in the winter, which I expect would be even worse than what we are facing now. So have a look at this graph below. Uh, pick below is what happened in 1918 to 1919. And I'm um, sorry, I'm cranking this out at fairly high resolution, but uh, I will, of course, put the sources in the description just for everyone who comes to the video and says, hey, man, where are your sources? Okay. So this is the 1918-1919, and this is from summer. See, it, it was, uh, this is the six, right? Uh, and then, you know, August to September, and it goes down. And then October, November, December, there's this massive peak. And then you see there is, so there's a first wave, and this is deaths per 1,000 people. They get to 25 per 1,000 people at one point. And then you see it starts again the next year. And um, it's not a single event. Uh, I remember reading this about the Black Death way back in the day when I was studying medieval history as a graduate student, that the Black Death was not a single thing. It came in these waves, you know, like nausea, like morning sickness. It just came in these deadly tsunamis of bones and burials. So he said, predictions from any model are only as good as the data that parameterized it. There are two major unknowns at this stage. One, we don't know to what extent COVID-19 transmission will be seasonal. Two, we don't know if COVID-19 infection induces long-lasting immunity, right? So the last data that I saw was, of course, that 14% of people are getting reinfected. And that's, well, it's kind of alarming, right? And, and we, the number is probably higher. It's just that we don't know because we can't tell yet. It's too early in the pandemic. So he says, seasonality is difficult to predict without time series. Comparison between regions for the COVID-19 pandemic suggests some seasonality, but likely less than for, for influenza. This would be roughly in line with other 
Viridae, common cold, and MERS. He said, how long immunity lasts for following COVID-19, sorry, how long immunity lasts for following COVID-19 infection is the biggest unknown. Comparison with the other coronaviridae suggests it may be relatively short-lived, i.e. months. If this were to be confirmed, it would add to the challenge of managing the pandemic. Short-lived immunization would defeat both flattening the curve and herd immunity approaches. Devising an effective strategy would be even more challenging under low seasonal forcing. It would also completely complicate effective vaccination campaigns. The COVID-19 pandemic is an extremely challenging problem, and there are still many unknowns. There is no simple fix, and poorly thought-out interventions could make the situation even worse, massively so. The COVID-19 pandemic is not just an epidemiological problem. It is a global health problem that can only be tackled with an integrated and global approach, for example. There is no such thing as a choice between managing the pandemic versus protecting the economy. This is very, very important. This is a false dichotomy, right? Health and the economy are closely linked. The correlation between per capita GDP and health life expectancy is essentially perfect. If the COVID-19 pandemic leaps, sorry, leads to a global economy collapse, many more lives will be lost than COVID-19 would ever be able to claim. Uh, so this, of course, the relationship between per capita GDP and life expectancy is essentially perfect. Although I would argue that high IQ people tend to live longer and high IQ people tend to create societies if they're allowed to exercise their talents in a meritocracy, they tend to create societies with high per capita GDP, which is like South Korea, which is a market economy relative to North Korea, has 30 to 35 times the GDP per capita. So uh, this is important stuff to be aware of, which is why I'm telling everyone to, you know, prepare uh, to uh, get your food, to get your resource, to get your medicines and all that kind of stuff. When it comes to Canada, man, oh man, it's, um, it's brutal. I got to tell you guys, it's brutal. And uh, the fact that we voted in, I mean, despite my best efforts, I suppose you could say, or despite the best efforts of people who were opposing um, Justin Trudeau, He's, he's in, you know, this guy who was a snowboard instructor and former drama teacher and has never worked a challenging day's work in his life for any financial need is in charge. And, uh, well, now his wife is sick and maybe he's got it too. So the great Ezra Levant, and please check them out at Rebel News, says, who's pumped about five more flights coming directly from China to Canada to Vancouver alone? I mean, what's the point of telling Canadians they shouldn't travel if over a thousand people arrive from China unscreened every single day. That is just appalling. <laughs> Diversity and viruses is our strength, say people. And um, yeah, the, the response from Canada has been pitiful. And of course, the big challenge, of course, is that Asians as a whole, uh, East Asians, right? So the Chinese in particular, they vote left, right? They vote for Democrats, like overwhelmingly vote for Democrats. They haven't I guess, got the herd immunity of fear, being afraid of the left, which has occurred for the more right-leaning or Republican-leaning voters that have managed to come out of Cuba and have aggregated in Florida, which I believe today just declared a state of emergency, and not just because former candidates for governor have been found in meth parties uh, half-naked with uh, gay escorts. Boy, you can look that up. <laughs> we haven't hit peak degeneracy yet, but we're getting pretty close. We're getting pretty close. So I wonder, because the, um, 
the mainstream media doesn't want to offend or upset the Chinese voters, and so they tend to be, uh, this is where the whole, you can't call it the Wuhan virus comes from and all that, right? So it's really ridiculous. All right, so let's just step back on this little thing as well, because this is something that, boy, every time there's one of these crises, um, you know how um, there's an old saying about war is the opportunity for the world to teach Americans about geography? Well, shortages or pandemics or whatever you want to call them are a great way for people to learn basic economic principles. Okay, so this is from the Libertarian Institute. As the coronavirus panic heightens, the price of items like hand sanitizer and medical face masks, to the extent that they are still available, are skyrocketing. CBS News reported uh, last week that online sales of virus protection products have skyrocketed up 817% in the last two months. Two large bottles of Purell hand sanitizer were on sale for $299 on Amazon. That size normally sells for about $9 a bottle. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Four boxes of masks, about 20 bucks, being sold for more than $1,000. Now, of course, the price gouging and everybody gets horrified and you get all of the usual idiots, right? Okay. So if the sellers of these items are not allowed to raise their prices out of fear of government punishment, the result will be that the first wave of customers will clear out all the available supplies. During times of distress like this, people's demand curves shift. They are now willing to buy more of a good, like hand sanitizer, at any given price. Without a higher price, the first buyers will stock up, leaving no supplies for others in need. You understand that when the price goes up, you're distributing things in a more fair manner. There is no incentive to economize. In fact, there is incentive for those first in line to buy up more than they usually then they actually need to potentially take advantage of shortages and make a profit by selling those willing to pay a higher price in the black market. If prices are allowed to rise to reflect the greater urgency of demand, however, consumers will limit their purchases to just what they truly need. Those first in line will be far less likely to clean out the shelf, but rather buy the minimum amount needed to ride out the virus scare. As a result, more people will be able to acquire at least some of the highly valued products and supplies are more likely to be available to those who most urgently need the product, right? Because I mean, if you're willing to bid more, it's because you really, really need it. And of course, the elderly, I mean, the boomers are the richest generation in the history of the planet, certainly richer than the Gen Xs and the millennials that they're leaving with massive amounts of debt. They have a huge amount of money and they have a huge amount of incentive on average, right, to buy all of this stuff because they're the most at uh, risk. So, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Freely adjusting prices sends important signals to producers about the intensity of demand, providing incentive to suppliers to devote more resources to the production and distribution of the critical items in such high demand, right? Manufacturers of masks and hand sanitizer will be willing to outbid manufacturers of other products for the inputs they need to produce the finished product. They may also be willing to invest more speedy delivery mechanisms to more quickly acquire their needed inputs so that they can increase supplies in a shorter time frame. Right? Nature abhors a vacuum, right? And supply abhors excessive demand. It just rushes in to fill it. You know, it's, uh, I don't know what to say. When, when you have excess demand reflected in super high prices, people rush in and you'll get very creative people coming into that market and they will drive the prices down very, very quickly. So... Um, again, I'll put the links to all of this below, but please try and educate people. Uh, lives depend upon there not being price controls. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I just, uh, I did a, this is from Andy No, And uh, let's, um, let's have a quick look at this. I mean, we need, we need a little comedy in, in these uh, grim days. Now, I'm going to put a picture up here. Just, just be aware. 
uh, this is not me. This is not me. It may look exactly like me, but it's not uh, not me. Okay, so like, yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess my tits are that big, but they're not quite as ripped. So, uh, man busted with Andrew Gillum in hotel room with meth was gay escort. So, who is Andrew Gillum? Well, let's find out. Uh, quick question. Do you think he's a Republican or a Democrat? Now, don't get me wrong. Republicans have their sex scandals, but it does seem to be focusing quite heavily on the Democrats over the last, oh, I don't know, forever. So, yeah, this is some pretty nutty stuff. Andrew Gillum was caught in a room with more than just drugs. <laughs> you know, I don't ever get any good headlines. I never get a fair shake. I keep getting reporters pinging me, say, hey, man, I'd love to talk to you. It's like, sure, can I stick my dick in a Venus flytrap and call myself <laughs> a Chad? No, I'm not talking to a reporter. Are you kidding me? But, um, you know, that's like the ex-girlfriend who's uh, just on the end of her fertility cycle as a human being saying, just one for old time's sake. Yeah, right. Good way to get into baby jail for 20 years. Anyway, so Andrew Gillum, the man who overdosed on crystal meth in a Florida hotel room. That's such a Florida headline. <laughs> they should have just been banging a half-naked alligator. The man who overdosed on crystal meth in a Florida hotel room with Gillum, a Democrat who made an unsuccessful bid for Florida governor. You know, he was in like 30,000 votes. They were in 30,000 votes of having meth and gay guys with chiseled man boobs in the uh, governor's mansion. Ah, was an openly gay male escort with a profile on the website rentmen.com. Do not look for me on that website. Uh, Travis Dyson also identified himself as a porn star performer who offered services including gay massage. Now, what is, what is gay massage exactly? I'm not... Is it like massage to Frankie Goes to Hollywood or the Pet Shop Boys or <laughs> Liberace? I don't know what that is exactly. I assume it involves an excess of lube and surprises. Oh, unhappy ending for anyone who's not gay. <laughs> so uh, Travis Dyson also identified himself. Oh, sorry. I like kissing and foreplay. Lots of kissing and foreplay. I enjoy my nipple rings lightly played with. Mutual touch and intimacy goes a long way, he said on his now deleted page, according to heavy.com. Hey, he's not heavy. He's, he's just my brother. I enjoy my nipple rings lightly played with. Mm, life without having kids, I guess. <laughs> So, I mean, this, it's funny in a way, but it's also tragic because this guy, Gillum, has been married to his wife, R.J. Gillum. I guess she's going by her first initial now, so you can't pick her out of a lineup. Since 2009, together the couple has three children. You know, it's a pretty open lifestyle. Pretty, pretty wet and wild lifestyle. Uh, pretty, uh, I'm not touching anything the house if I'm a plumber lifestyle. But uh, given how open everything seems to be, uh, well, she has three children. I'm not entirely positive that he does. <laughs> you get that baby uh, who comes out with a bottle of lube and chiseled man boobs. Anyway, the former Tallahassee mayor was found vomiting and intoxicated with Dyson at the Mondrian South Beach, according to a police report first obtained by the Miami Herald. Miami Herald does some amazing great work, and boy, were they ever going after uh, uh, um, Jeffrey Epstein. Sorry, so many steins around those stories. Gillum was not arrested, but, quote, was unable to communicate with officers due to his inebriated state. So naturally, of course, they gave him a drug test. Bet they didn't. Bet they didn't. Because power, right? Dyson rented the room on behalf of a third man, Aldo Mayor, 56, who arrived at the hotel around 11 p.m. to find both men severely under the influence of unknown substances. I'm pretty much sure it wasn't philosophy. Otherwise, it would be even worse for him if he was listening to my show. My gosh. 
Dyson collapsed on the bed immediately after opening the door. Gillen was in the bathroom vomiting, the report said. I gotta tell ya, that does not seem like a very fun time to me. It just doesn't. Well, first of all, I wouldn't want to be around this guy shirtless, right? I mean, this is like the golden one, right? I wouldn't want to be around this guy shirtless. Otherwise, I'm just going to feel like, a, you know, some of the slime that my daughter puts together, right? So, yeah, don't be around this guy shirtless. And I've heard he was naked. And secondly, um, I don't know, don't take so many drugs that you end up hurling like a internal combustion cannon of yesterday's Indian food. So um, police were called around midnight. And Dyson was taken to a local hospital after what cops believed was a suspected drug overdose. Wait, I know, I know. It's steroids. No, probably not. Probably not. Oh, gosh. In a statement, Gillum offered an apology but insisted he had stayed drug-free. Those aren't the kind of decisions that you make when you're drug-free. He says, I was in Miami last night for a... <laughs> I can't read this stuff with a straight face. Oh, it's good to have some humor, isn't it? I was in Miami last night for a wedding celebration when first responders were called to assist one of my friends. While I had too much to drink, I wanted to be clear I have never used methamphetamines, he said, pronouncing it perfectly, I'm sure. I apologize to the people of Florida for the distraction this has caused our movement. So, yeah, because, you know, who doesn't get married on a Thursday night? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. Florida, Florida, Florida. There's something in the water. There's something in the air. There's something in the politics. And gators have eaten everyone's common sense and then some. So, yeah, quite. Uh, uh, oh, should we do one more? Let's do one more. Let's do one more. That's. Uh, um, I don't say worth making a couple of jokes about, but uh, yeah. So Zimbabwe has given land back to white farmers after they wrecked the economy. Uh, so. The seizures that began in 2000 were ratified by the government, which said they were needed to redress colonial imbalances. And one of the richest African countries became one of the poorest. And you can go to fdrurl.com forward slash IQ for more on this. And um, yeah, they drive the farmers away. And farming in Africa is really, really complicated because, I mean, it's dry and, and you need a lot of irrigation. You need a lot of machinery. You need a lot of complexity. And they just weren't experienced in it. So they all started starving to death. They begged for foreign aid. When people got impatient with that, they begged for the white farmers to come back. And uh, what can I tell you? It's uh, unfortunately a tale as old as time. Um, Italy's cases have doubled in three days, which, of course, is, uh, is kind, of, uh, kind of important. All right. So let's have a quick look at this. I'll take a couple of questions, and we'll call it a delightful evening of humor and horror. So in China, Wuhan was locked down when cases exploded, shielding other major cities like Beijing and Shanghai. In the U.S., every major city in every state is emerging as a hotspot, hotspot like Wuhan, as per CDC stats. So this is states reporting cases of COVID-19 to the CDC and um, going from lightest to uh, darkest. You can see that they're just not going to be locked down in the way that uh, Wuhan was, and uh, that's not, uh, that's not good. All right. Looks as if Doc Scott Adams reports, looks as if doctors will be allowed to provide telehealth services across state lines. Not sure about the details, but this is promising. These kinds of disasters do shake the barriers to productivity. So very briefly, very briefly, 
when labor shortages emerged as a result of the Black Death in Europe, the remaining workers, the remaining serfs, were able to negotiate for much better conditions and much more private property, which is one of the things that laid the foundation for the agricultural revolution, which was necessary for the industrial revolution, which is necessary for the modern world as a whole. So, um, yeah, this is, uh, uh, this is not good. Again, back to uh, the formerly real country, now a sad, decaying meme. Uh, CBC, uh, CTV News Vancouver, 22 hours ago, reported, yeah, there is nothing happening in the airport. It's insane. All the other airports have been really spot on. This airport, nothing is happening. See, the Western governments got addicted to Chinese money in order to prop up the real estate values and prop up real estate prices, which gets them the boomer votes. And of course, then they get a bunch of votes from the East Asians, from the Chinese. And um, so I think it's interesting. I think that the more East Asian voters you have, particularly Chinese, the tougher it is for politicians to respond in an intelligent way to a breakout that starts in China for fear of offending, right? That's uh, really, really tragic. Yeah, no screening, no screening. You, 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 you know, it's funny. So you, you come to a Canadian airport and there's one, there's a touch screen, right? It's kind of important. There's a touch screen. And what happens is they say, hey, you've been to Wuhan? That's it. That's it. That's it. And it's a touch screen. When there's a pandemic around, how about we don't use touch screens to screen people? You know, because. All right. So. Um, so H1N1 was an influenza strain that could be treated with Tamiflu. COVID-19 is not related to influenza. Uh, this is a Q&A on coronaviruses from COVID-19 from the World Health Organization. Oh, yeah. April 27, 2009. This is from the great Diana West. Please look her up on Amazon and buy her books. They will blow your mind and excellently well researched and written. April 27, 2009. Obama says, swine flu, not a reason for alarm. And uh, it actually kind of was. Tim Poole, the man who I believe has an upper head, but nobody has quite confirmed it as yet. Oh, man, embrace the dome. It's worth it. China arrested people warning us about COVID-19, and we're supposed to believe they're telling the truth now. Yeah, at least five people in China have disappeared, gotten arrested, or been silenced because they were talking about the challenges of COVID-19. Oh, yeah, okay, this one's um, obviously a little sad, but something that we need to keep track of in these uh, dire and exciting times. I hope this uh, gets people to recognize what's really important in life, their relationships and the people they love, and not just uh, the pursuit of money and status and so on. Okay, so what do we got here? Yeah, yeah, cookies, 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 I get it. All right. A newborn baby has tested positive for coronavirus in what is thought to be the youngest case of the disease in the UK. The child's mother, who was taken to a North London hospital days before birth with, sus with suspected pneumonia, has also caught the virus. The mother tested positive at North Middlesex Hospital in Enfield with the results coming through after the birth. The baby was tested for COVID-19 minutes after being born. It is not known whether the child contracted the disease in the womb or was infected during birth. The son reported that the baby was still being treated at the hospital, but the mother has been transferred to a specialist infections hospital. So uh, that's, that's a, a real challenge, and of course it's a pretty heartbreaking way to start, uh, to start your life.
Uh, yes, Jack Posobiec has reported. I think we can do a couple more of these, right? Um, I can see, of course, uh, I guess it's one of my biggest live streams anywhere. So uh, trust me, it's, uh, it's usually more entertaining, even more entertaining and engaging and enjoyable than this, but this is fairly dank, uh, dank topics. So welcome, uh, everyone. So Jack Posobiec reports the Pentagon has ordered that members of the Armed Services DOD, Department of Defense civilian employees, and their family members who are living on or serving at military properties can no longer travel domestically starting Monday. And this is why I said at the very beginning, of course, it's not just the flu. Now, this is coming through the, from the uh, LA Times. And... Um, This is, again, a, a real challenge because, uh, so this, when did this come out? Yeah, yesterday, 5 a.m. This is from Alice Sue, China correspondent. They survived the coronavirus, then they tested positive again. Why? Beijing, the neighbors were free at last after weeks of confinement to their apartments because one person in the building had tested positive for coronavirus. They were throwing a party to celebrate his recovery and their release. It was February 24th, and Mr. Wang, uh, not a noted porn star despite the name, a resident of Guzhou in Jiangsu province, appears to, appear to have emerged victorious from a month-long battle with the illness. 65 residents of his building gathered downstairs to greet Wang with bouquets of pink flowers, a cake with a flamingo on it, and a red banner that read, With strong neighborly feelings, we welcome you home. You know, those translations never quite gel, do they? So there's a news photo and all that. Three days later, though, Wang tested positive for the coronavirus again. He was rehospitalized and his neighbors were locked down. Once more, his current condition is unknown. Wang, whose full name has not been disclosed for privacy reasons, is one of more than 100 reported cases of Chinese patients who have been released from hospitals as survivors of the new coronavirus, only to test positive for it a second time in the bewildering math of this mysterious illness. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's some pretty, pretty rough stuff. And uh, just remember, of course, the World Health Organization downplayed COVID-19 risk at first, urged open borders. And, um, oh, yeah, uh, the, uh, the uh, China, China is, of course, passing along the conspiracy theory that the U.S. was the source of the virus. Why? Because leftists always accuse you of what they themselves are in fact doing. Okay, so that's, yeah, that's it for the major updates that I wanted to get across to y'all. And, um, you know, I'm a big one for making the, let me just, I, you don't need the, <laughs> what a stirring start to the speech, let me tell you. Boy, that's some, that's some gripping sophistry right there. Okay. Let me just uh, get over to the middle middle of the screen here. Okay, so listen, there's a little bit to talk about before I just take some questions. I want... Oh, let me just ask that. Boy, I'm never going to get this speech started, am I? I don't think I am. Let me just ask you guys, uh, is the sync... Are we still in sync here? Is the audio syncing up with the, uh, with the video? Ah, well, that's, I can't see <laughs> too many people chatting. 5,500 people in the chat, so... All right. Um, please check out my documentary, freedomain.com. Just click on documentaries. Uh, it's an incredible documentary, and it gives you a real sense of the history of China. 
which is really, really important to know right now. There's a reason why I jumped on this story so early and have been hammering it so hard for so long. Well, I sound like Mr. Wang now, don't I? But um, it's because I do know a fair amount about the history of China and know what their cover-ups are like and how they really don't like um, any kind of loss of face. And that means that they're not going to admit when they have a problem until it's really too late, at least for the rest of the world. So, look, here's the thing. I'm, I'm very much one for, you know, you knock me down, I'll get back up again. If you deplatform me, I'll just get better. If you take away my income, I'll find another way to deal with it. I'm very much one for, you know, how the muscles, they're built with resistance. The sword gets sharpened on the whetstone. You need sparks, you need heat, you need drips of molten metal to get a intellectual blade of the highest, finest, vorpal sword, Elric-style caliber. Boy, there's a reference that only one in a hundred will get, not even, probably. So here's the thing. This thing is upon us. It's not going away. It's going to escalate. It's going to increase, and it is going to reshape and rewrite society as a whole. There are some upsides. Hey, interesting story. Mexico is so afraid of coronavirus coming in from the U.S. that Mexico is talking about closing its borders. In other words... Turns out Mexico might pay for the wall, as Trump promised, but it's kind of a different situation than people had kind of expected. We're being reminded why globalism is a bad idea. We're being reminded why borders are a good idea. And there are, in fact, migrant boats that aren't getting into Italy for once in a blue moon, where only 2 to 3% of the people who come to Italy are actually refugees of any kind or, or uh, deserving of that kind of protection. They're just, you know, people looking for the welfare state, right? I mean, Lies to a honey, so to speak, ants to sugar. So we're kind of remembering some of the old lessons and stories of our history, which have been scrubbed from us by largely leftist communist indoctrination, where the only history that you're allowed to have as a Westerner, particularly as a white person or as a Christian, the only history that you're allowed to have is you bastards who killed everyone with smallpox and raped the planet and only became wealthy because you stole from India. I mean, all this stuff, not supportable, but uh, it is designed to demoralize you. So the mass swirlpool of human movement around the globe, where you have a lot of people who can earn 10 to 20 times on the welfare state in Germany that can earn in the Middle East, are kind of swarming to sit on the taxpayers of, of Western citizens, that is kind of diminishing. That's kind of a little bit on hold at the moment, which gives us time to, in a sense, take, take a breath, though not on a Wuhan bus, of course, to take a breath and sort of reassess things now. So for those who don't know, and hi to, you know, all my new friends here, um, some time ago, I'm trying to remember now, six, seven years ago, I got me some cancer. And uh, you can see the scar here. It's not just a close call with Zorro. It was just a close call with the scythe of the guy in the black robe, Black Death himself. And I talked about this at the time, that when you get a real flyby of mortality or when society goes through paroxysms of reshaping itself, you get what I call the zoom out. You know the zoom out? You know how you just kind of be going through the day and I got to check my email. Oh, what's going on on Twitter? Oh, I got to do this. Oh, I got to get some groceries. Oh, I got some paperwork to do. Oh, some bills came in. Like just this, this detritus, this, this sand that wears away the glorious statue of our potential humanity just being bladed down by the endless scythes of inconsequential irregularities, right? That's kind of, and look, there's that stuff in life, you know, that, that stuff's going to happen in life and it's part of life and it's not the end of the world. But what I want to sort of point out is something like this. I mean, so far, of course, the odds of you dying are infinitesimally small. The odds of you even getting sick are pretty damn small, but that's going to change. But most of us are going to come through this just fine. 
And of course, we want to be there for our loved ones, particularly if you know older people who are probably pretty scared. You think you're scared, right? I mean, people who are 70, 75, 80, 85, especially if they've had compromised lungs, maybe they've got emphysema, maybe they've had pneumonia in the past, maybe they were smokers for a long time or still are. Those people are really scared. Please, if you live in a neighborhood, if you live in an apartment building, you know, knock on people's door, rubber gloves and all, knock on their doors. Do you need anything? Can I get you anything? Because they're scared to go out. They're scared to go to the grocery store because for you, it's going to be a week or two in bed, you know, coughing and whatever it is, right? But uh, it could be the fatality rate for elderly, um, elderly, elderly people is, is pretty high. So please, 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 my friends, do something neighborly, reestablish this sense of community that's all been fragmented by the modern world and just help some folks out there. Uh, uh, you know, please, if you're going out anywhere, you're much less risk. Do something to help people. Ask if they're okay. Ask if they need anything. And be insistent. You know, a lot of older people are like, no, 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 I'm fine. You know, but it's like, please let me, help me, help you. Right? Show me the Kwanzaa. So that can help reestablish some neighborliness because there is a lot of isolation, a lot of atomization, a lot of every man is an island, like Hawaii is an island, the furthest thing from any place else on the planet. So try and reconnect with, with some neighbors, try and help some people in your community. Uh, it will really pay off and you might get a good friendship uh, out of it. And, uh, you know, Maybe they'll put you in their will. I don't know, whatever you need to, to motivate yourself to do something good about all of that. And that's a really good uh, thing to do. But the zoom out is really, really important because it yanks our consciousness out of the details of the everyday. Now, I kind of have this crazy job, career, calling, curse, occupation, whatever you want to call it, which is crying the barbaric yawp of philosophy from the rooftops of the world and trying to thunderclap people into uh, waking up from their dogmatic slumbers. And so I have this big, grand, total monster view every day. And, and I'm incredibly grateful for everyone for giving me the means, the opportunity to have this conversation with the world. It's so incredibly important. We absolutely, you know, without philosophy, we're just cunning apes with opposable thumbs and very dexterous fingers and a little bit of a post-monkey expansion beta pack sitting on top of our lizard brain and our monkey brain. We, we need concepts. We need philosophy. We need virtue. We need meaning in our lives. And there's something about the endless red tape, bureaucracy, and details of the modern world that sands down our sense of power, our sense of potential, our sense of grandeur. Grandeur. When was the last time you felt heroic? When was the last time you felt really moved and motivated and looked at your day and said, that was about as great a day as I could possibly have? Well, what happens when you get a close call? Like we've all had this one time or another. I remember when I was um, when I was a young broke student, I used to go to bazaars and I would buy clothing by the pound sometimes because I just needed stuff to wear and didn't have any money. And I remember I was biking down there once and I took a sudden turn to the right from the median of the road and a truck just, you know, just skidded full on helium squeak, birthday clown squealing behind me and almost, I mean, I could have just been a stain on a bumper. And uh, while well, you'd just be looking at an empty screen going like, this is the least exciting live stream ever. But um, before that, I'd been thinking about, I don't know, just worrying about something in my life. And then it was like, doo -doo 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 -doo. You, you get that adrenaline of, uh, you know, 
the, the hands of death, they're coming up to your throat and you're just like, <laughs> you just get out at the last minute. And for quite some time after that, as which happened with my cancer diagnosis, I'm like, mm, I am not going to live small, man. I am not going to live petty. I am not going to bleed away my precious pearl-like days. I am not going to be the space between the stars. I am going to be a supernova, if at all humanly possible. And I think it is possible. It's possible for me. It's possible for you. Possible for everyone out there. This gives you a sense that you are going to die. It's coming. It's not a matter of if, it's simply a matter of when, and you don't know how long the when could be. And this reminds you to live. This reminds you to dig deep in human experience, to, to dig deep in courage. Because cowardice and avoiding difficult topics is always easier in the short run, but what it does is it whittles down your sense of identity, your sense of pride, your sense of self-esteem, your sense of relevancy, your sense of importance, your sense of power to be continually silenced. You know, we've got this politically correct culture out there. We've got this, oh, you say the wrong thing, you post the wrong thing, you're going to get <laughs> mushroom cloud where your for former existence used to be. And I get that. I mean, everybody's got to play the game in the Overton window and you've got to push the envelope without, you know, <laughs> uh, being a soap bubble going through a sound barrier and just, right? I get all of that. So we all got to weigh our risks and our rewards as a whole. But I hope, I hope, that something like this can give you a deeper and richer sense of the necessity of courage for the maintenance of civilization, the necessity of courage for the maintenance of, of pride and self-esteem. Please, please, my friends, use this opportunity to live more richly and live more deeply. Think of the people, the thousands of people who've died from this. And if they could speak, you know, if we could summon them and they could speak, what would they say to us? They would say, mourn me for a short amount of time and then get busy with the business of living. Because mine was cut short. You are still continuing. All those who lie in the grave are shaking their fists at us, trying to wake us up, saying, we all end up here. Please don't waste your life. Please don't waste your potential. Please don't waste, waste your possibilities. Please extend every ounce of mental energy you can have, you can possess, that you can imagine. It's much more than you. You have much more energy than you can even imagine. Much more focus, much more brilliance, much more potential. Please look at the falling bodies of the fallen and use them to remind yourself to wake up and to live deeply and passionately. Use this to reconnect with people. Hey, you might be home with them for quite a while. Use this tragedy judo style, right? You know, the judo, like someone comes at you and you just use their momentum to defeat them. Use these tragedies to live more deeply and live more richly. There's a great book that was the only book given to me by a very corrupt person in my life long ago. It's called The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. And in it, there is a devil. It's an older devil teaching a younger devil how to tempt people into bad actions. And the greatest temptation is inconsequentiality. The greatest temptation is to not really live, to not really exist, to waste your life in a blur of binge-watching mediocre shows and playing video games and watching porn and wasting your life and not having a family and not having children and not having a legacy, not having a meaning and not putting a Sasquatch-style boot print in the mud of the world. 
You're not here to fade away. Think of the incredible coincidence that exploding stars from hundreds of millions of years ago happened to coalesce in you, beautiful, bald, bipedal ape with the most magnificent couple of pounds of matter in existence, the human mind. Out of all of the universe that we know of, 99.999% empty, a whole lot of helium, which doesn't do that much, and then a tiny, tiny little concentration of living matter on this Goldilocks planet. And within that living matter, there is a tiny, tiny concentration of human brains, and you happen to be in possession of one of those greatest gifts that the universe has to offer. You happen to have won the lottery for all of the exploded star snot that floats around the universe that coalesced into you. You won the lottery! You have a brain! You have these incredible hands! You have a relatively free society. You have mostly free speech. Even if you're not in America, you still have mostly free speech. You have been given the greatest gift of the human mind in the greatest time that has ever existed in the world. For us to be even having this conversation is unprecedented for 99.999% of human history. What can you do with such gifts? What should you do with such gifts? I don't know, but please do something. Please do something. Do not shame the dead by wasting your life. Only connect. Connect with your ambition, connect with your potential, connect with your courage, act on it, and connect with the people around you. And say, screw you, death. You're tempting me with fear and cowering. I'm not living under the bed. I'm taking the staircase to the stars. All right. Let's uh, do a couple of questions, if you like. And... Um, Let's see if we have any, uh, I'm just sorry, just, <laughs> this is quite the blur of people coming by. <laughs> sorry, I'm just looking for the odd philosophical question. Freddie Mercury liked Wang. Yes, he did. And uh, it's my particular belief, of course, based upon what Freddie Mercury said about his time. So he was born in uh, Zanzibar, I think it was, and he went all the way, I think, to India for boarding school as a young boy. And what happened was um, he said, well, I don't really want to talk about being in boarding school, but what I will say is that uh, there were a number of headmasters who chased the boys around the table. And um, pretty sure what that meant was uh, that there was uh, pedophilia at the boarding school. So I think that that kind of played out in his life in a truly tragic kind of way. Uh, Steph, I'm going to prep a show for you. It's on nutrition. I hope you use it. Thank you. I would appreciate that. Any thoughts on being a freelance software developer versus working for a company? Yes, if you can do the freelance thing, uh, it's good. But just please, please, please um, save your money, right? Uh, there's nothing wrong with being an entrepreneur. It's a great life, but you've got to save your money. Hey, Steph, what do you, why do you think YouTube is keeping your subs exactly at 925,000 since September 2019? Verified on Social Blade. Well, okay, so um, back in the day, I used to get about 10,000 new subscribers a month on YouTube, if I remember rightly. And uh, yeah, look, they don't, <laughs> they, they don't want to give me the million sub uh, plaque, obviously, right? I mean, so um, what can I tell you? What can I tell you? 
Uh, does garlic work, Stefan? Uh, yeah, if you want to not kiss anyone, keep vampires away. My country, Norway, says one listener, is the second most infected per capita. What do you think of China's aggressive measures on coronavirus tracking and drones? Um, well, I'm not a big... Obviously, I'm a big opponent of totalitarianism, but there are worse things than this kind of totalitarianism, which is the dithering of the Democrat sta democratic states. I don't mean the Democrats like the U.S. Democrats, but just democracy in general is, uh, is a big problem. When you have... So this is an old argument from Hans Hoppe, I think it is, which is to say that if you're going to have an oligarchy, it's in some ways better to have a hereditary oligarchy like, uh, uh, you know, in... in um, North Korea, right? You get the, the, the power is passed down, although that's obviously a completely awful example for any kind of functional country. But if you have royalty, right, where the, the king leaves the, the, the kingdom to his son, then there's benefits to that because he wants to maintain the health and welfare and of, of the kingdom. He doesn't want to hand his son a decrepit, indebted, unfunded liability, nightmare, black hole, endless zombie march of dying companies kind of country. He wants to hand his son something that's functional and not too heavily indebted. Whereas, of course, the people who bungee in in the democratic system, uh, they're just out there to pillage everything uh, and they just take the money out of the state rather than having the state as a permanent possession and the problem of the commons kicked in, kicks in and they just end up taking the easy route from all of that stuff. So there are some um, positive things that a more totalitarian state can do regarding this stuff, so... That is a very good summation of Hoppy's argument, Steph. Well, you know, every now and then I happen to rip off something like that, so. What do you think the coronavirus looks like next winter? Mutations? Well, absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. For sure. For sure. For sure. Uh, there will be mutations. And um, the second wave is, is a big problem. It's not, it's not over when it's over, unfortunately. All right. Um, let's do another couple of questions. Uh, do you think... Let's see, that was a good one about the... Oh, um, let's see here. Uh, which national parks have you been to? If not, which one would you like to go to next? Yosemite with Izzy. Uh, isn't my daughter. I think that would be a lot of fun. Uh, although, of course, travel is... Uh, I guess... Yeah, travel's going to be a bit uh, on the low side. Do you think the globalists are using COVID-19 to defeat Trump and all nationalist movements? Well, they have a bit of a problem with that now, don't they? Because having no borders and having this uh, all over the place, um, globalism, which is, I mean, by globalism, basically just communism, right? It's hard socialism, communism. Communism was an international movement, right? You got national socialism, which were the Nazis. You got international socialism, which were the communists. And these were two criminal gangs fighting with each other. Uh, the communist one, and so now they say that the only evil were the Nazis, uh, which is not true, of course. And um, so, no, uh, COVID-19 is going to remind people why there were borders. It's going to remind people why it was important to have manufacturing done domestically, right? So what Trump's going to have to do, and I'm sure he's going to do this, and he has been doing some of this, is he's going to try and reduce the red tape that stands between the productive genius of the average American entrepreneur and actually being able to start a business in manufacturing. If you, if you look at a place that is largely um, regulation-free, like the software industry, I mean, I was um, a software guy, never took any formal training in software, and um, 
hired a bunch of people without formal training in software, just hobbyists and so on. If you look at the software industry, it's the least regulated industry and it has the most progress and generates the most wealth and unfortunately pillages the most data sometimes, but that's a topic for another time. And so what's going to happen is the regulations are going to have to be relaxed in America because this idea that you can just keep regulating everyone and drive all the business overseas so that it's ensconced in a totalitarian dictatorship like China and then everything's going to be fine. Well, it's so there is going to be a reshaping of the economy. If America's going to survive at all, it's going to have to survive as a more free economic environment. All right, let's see here. What do you think of China pinning the U.S. Army as being responsible for the Wuhan virus pandemic? Well, I think it means, and we probably will never know, but I think it means that there are elements in China who believe that they are responsible because you always accuse other people. If you're on the left, right, this goes back to Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. I did a whole show on this. You can check it out on my channel. But um, you always accuse other people of what you're doing. So for me, if... China had never accused America of artificially creating the Wuhan virus, then I never would have gotten closer to thinking that China actually did it. That's just the end. Stefan, what's your thoughts on the raw meat diet? And would you eat raw meat? No, I can get to sushi. I can't get to, to raw meat, I'm afraid. Uh, no, no, no. No, no, no. None of that stuff. All right. Let's see here. A couple more questions, shall we? Oh, we're over an hour anyway. Anyway, let's see here. Do you think a financial collapse is coming because of the coronavirus? Well, see, this is up to you, right? Sorry, I keep taking my glasses off, but I reflect some of the studio lights. But that's up to you, right? To a large degree. I mean, if you're going to tell people what's the real problem here, the real problem is that we've got hyper-regulation. We've got um, the government controlling the money supply. We've got the government controlling the interest rates. Uh, we've got the government controlling most of healthcare, or if not all of healthcare in most of the Western countries. And... Um, we need to be a free economy again. We need to have private currency. We need to have a Bitcoin or gold standard. We need to have rational interest rates that respond to market forces. We need all of these things. And if we don't get them, then it's going to be an economic collapse. But it's not because of the Wuhan virus. It's not because of coronavirus. That's just the symptom, right? It's, it's because we're not free. And therefore, we can't respond to these kinds of inevitable challenges in life, right? So we're not free. And um, these kinds of paroxysms within society, they either lead to tyranny or they lead to uh, freedom. So uh, let's uh, have a look at some facts, right? This is from Michelle Malkin. Uh, actually, I, should I put this up? Yeah, let's put this up. Okay, one, one last thing that I will, uh, I will do here. All right. One more, only one more, and then we will call it a night. And I uh, really do appreciate everyone uh, dropping by. It's a great pleasure to see and chat with you all. All right. Let's do one more over here. Michelle Malkin. Um, this is from March 11th. And, you know, really, really follow Michelle. Uh, she's a Valkyrie. She's been on my show a couple of times. She's uh, an amazing woman, a very, very powerful speaker, a very passionate lover of America. And she's currently ensconced in a vicious powerful, deep and essential civil war with what are called conservative Inc., which are the traditional conservatives, the Republicans of the American Party, who are massive fans of endless open borders and, and massive visas for whoever wants them and 
stapling green cards to um, uh, to job visas and so on. And uh, you just please follow her and and support her and and. Oh yeah, I just I wanted to mention this. Oh, by the way, you can see this right. There we go. See it. This says who at the table? Who at the table? Somebody was asking about that. I think. So who at the table was actually made uh, for me? Oh, this was designed for me by the uh, kids of a friend of mine, because um, I have this thing where I sit with, uh, if we're sitting at the dinner table or whatever, and I say, all right, all right, who at this table is the most shy? I'm having a conversation. Okay, who at this table is the worst loser, like the sorest loser? And then you have an interesting, and you know, you have to manage sometimes. It can be like, no, I'm not, right? It can be a really, really interesting conversation topic. Who at this table is the most sentimental, right? And you, you'd really be amazed at, at how perceptive people are in the family. It's a great way to get conversation going, particularly with kids. Um, and uh, we had really a, a huge number of great conversations. So they made me this T-shirt that says, who at the table? <laughs> because uh, they're always begging to play that game. And it was, a, uh, it, was a, it was a great deal of fun. So I just recommend that. So, all right. So what does Michelle Malkin say? Here are some plain non-historical facts. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control is a bloated federal government agency with a long history of incompetence, fraud, secrecy, mission creep, and shady alliances with both social justice causes on the left and private corporations on the big business right. The deep state of entrenched bureaucrats embedded in the beltway bowels is alive and thriving at the CDC. The unelected elites who've occupied top offices at the public health industrial complex are hostile to public scrutiny while clamoring for ever-ballooning budgets, their recommendations have often been detrimental to citizens' well-being and freedom. And yes, many of the scientists who work there are rabidly anti-conservative and anti-Trump. It's a brazen lie that President Donald Trump slashed CDC funding, which is being used as an excuse for the agency's coronavirus unpreparedness. Cognitively impaired and truth-challenged Joe Biden made the claim during last week's Democratic debate that these purported draconian cuts put Americans at risk. But Trump's budget proposal to cut some sliver of CDC fat has never been enacted, and Congress increased funding instead. At nearly $7 billion, CDC's annual budget is more than 200% larger than it was two decades ago. On top of that, a shady big business lobbying group called Corporate Friends of CDC has raised hundreds of millions of supplemental dollars, which raises serious conflict of interest issues. In 2007, Senator Tom Coburn's fiscal audit of the agency discovered vulgar expenditures, including CDC syphilis prevention funds spent to host a safe sex event with a porn star, CDC HIV AIDS prevention funds spent on a transgender beauty pageant, and $45 million in CDC funding spent on conferences featuring prostitutes, protests, and beach parties. Despite the flood of money, I would argue because of it, the agency has been caught flat-footed on, an outbreak, on outbreak after outbreak. They squander untold millions on other health threats in favor of pushing gun control and nanny state hobby horses, TV violence, helmet laws, video games, anti-bullying campaigns, and explicit sex education, for example. CDC has one primary job, disease control, but has managed to botch it without ever learning from past failures. Okay, so they, she talks about the, the swine flu, um, they misspent $22.7 million appropriated for chronic fatigue syndrome and was investigated in 2001 for squandering $30 million on hepatitis C research. 
In 2000, the agency essentially lied to Congress about how it spent up to $7.5 million earmarked each year since 1993 for research on the deadly hantavirus. Instead, apparently without asking Congress, the CDC spent much of that money on other programs that the agency thought needed the funds more. In 2009, the CDC recalled 800,000 doses of swine flu vaccine for children aged six months to three years after the products manufactured by Sanofi Pasteur failed potency tests. In 2012, the CDC's main building housing infectious anthrax, SARS and monkeypox gases, was discovered to have been leaking deadly pathogens due to a flawed engineered airflow system. 2014, the CDC's lackadaisical response to Ebola virus gave the green light to patient zero Thomas Eric Duncan and infected medical personnel on board commercial airlines while ill, exposing untold numbers of travelers to the deadly disease, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, you can read this on. It's very good. It's a very good article. And again, I will put the link to that below. But yeah, it's just another government agency. Uh, it's um, government is an agency of force. It's never going to be able to protect you. It's never going to be able to keep you safe. And uh, whatever it can get wrong, it almost certainly will. One of my family members refuses to quarantine. He says, this listener says, for coronavirus, what should I do? Well, quarantine him. You know, ostracism is a very, very powerful tool, my friends. Ostracism is how a civilized society should run. And ostracism, of course, is how societies used to run before the government began taking over everything. So, all right. Well, um, wonderful to, to see so many people are dropping by tonight. Thank you so much. I'm glad that it all worked out. And hey, who knows? Maybe, just maybe, the audio and video sync will stay in this. I'm sorry for republishing these uh, videos, but the audio sync, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. No, I'm actually completely OCD when it comes to putting out high-quality video and audio, probably to the detriment of my sanity sometimes. And so I have been republishing videos, not because I'm trying to double up on views or trying to cheat you into watching more videos, but because if there's a problem with the original video, I don't want to delete it because lots of interesting comments and chats and all that there, but I do want to get a better version out for the long term where I'm not looking like some ridiculous early 70s Japanese anime character whose voice is uh, drifting off like like Joe Biden's capacity to focus on a point of light in front of him. All right. So thanks, everyone, for dropping by. Please stay safe. Please use this opportunity to live a better, richer, and deeper life. Please, please help support me at freedomain.com forward slash donate. Check out my documentaries. I've got three out there. We are resuming work on Sunset in the Golden State, my documentary series on California. I love you guys so much. I can't even tell you. I am honored as always, thrilled, and um, take it very seriously the trust and resources that you give me to do good in the world. I hope, I hope, I'm always doing you proud. If I can do anything better, anything at all, please let me know. Love you guys. Have a great night and take care.